Welcome to the Evolutionary Parenting Podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Castles, PhD. When you thought about nursing, did you think about how long it would go? Did you think, I will absolutely be done by one because that's old enough? Then find yourself with a two-year-old attached to the boob and worry that they're actually too old? Or perhaps you were okay with that from the start, but still faced the comments, questions, and accusations from others about this? Welcome to Nursing Beyond Infancy, something most of the world does, but which those of us in weird, and by that I mean Western, educated, industrial, rich, and democratic countries, seem to have some pretty odd ideas about. This week, I'm joined by Meg Nagel, IBCLC and founder of The Milk Meg, as we debunk some of these myths that you may have been told so that you can, in the words of Meg, keep on boobin' with less stress and less worry. I am so very happy to have with me today Meg Nagel, or as you likely know her, the Milk Meg. She is an international board-certified lactation consultant, a writer, a speaker, a parent to three boys, and has also just finished her nursing science degree. She has a global audience and has supported thousands of families with their breastfeeding journeys at all stages and is a wonderful advocate for gentle parenting, no sleep training, and just plain boobin. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. It is so exciting. I haven't seen you in quite a few years. We haven't been anywhere. (laughs) I know, right? Like no travel, no nothing. It's all virtual, which I guess is how it was before. But it's like once you meet people in person, it's kind of nice to be able to go back to that every once in a while. You know what I mean? It is. And it's always nice to travel and meet new people. So hopefully that will start happening. Okay. So as we get started, we are talking about breastfeeding beyond infancy or toddler and older children breastfeeding. But before we get to that, because we want to tackle the big myths about that for people today. But before we get there, I first, I always ask, like, how did you become interested in breastfeeding in general? Because you're, you started in counseling and sexual health, right? Yes, I'm a very weird lactation consultant (laughs) because usually you are a midwife or a registered nurse before you become a lactation consultant. But I actually have a degree in psychology and all along my intention ever since I was little really was that I was going to be a psychologist. But um, my husband and I got pregnant with our first right in the middle of uni in college. And so I took a bit of a break, had our first, and then eventually did finish it when he was about two years old. And at that point, I was like, I need to work because now I have a kid. So rather than going on to do further study um, after I got my bachelor's, I started working at Planned Parenthood. So, and I absolutely loved working there and I love the combination of the counseling side of things and the nursing side of things because it was kind of both when I worked there and I was looking at these nurse practitioners going, you know, actually, I think I want to do more women's health side of things rather than becoming a psychologist. So then along the way, I had our second, and then we moved to Australia. So I was in Australia, met my husband when I was first studying. Then we moved to the States for five years. Now we've been back in Australia for 13 years. Oh, 13 years, that's so long. 
crazy. Anyway, to make a sh long sh sh story super extra long, um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I then finally uh, went back to get my nursing degree. However, then got pregnant with our third. For some reason, I love being pregnant when I'm trying to do school. <laughs> oh, just to make it as complicated as possible. Um, anyway, so I started that, started the nursing degree. And then in the meantime, my mother kept saying to me, you really should become a lactation consultant. Because I'd been a volunteer breastfeeding counselor with La Leche League for like eight years. So that was one of the things that I did after I had my first um, because I loved breastfeeding him. So after I had done the volunteer stuff for a while, I was like, oh, I don't know. You know, looking at what you have to do to become a lactation consultant, it's overwhelming. <laughs> like, it's actually, there's different pathways to do it. And every time I would look at it, I would go, oh, I just can I do this? Can I do this? So anyway, I became a lactation consultant while I was studying nursing. Okay. Then had my third, started the milk meg, put my nursing degree on hold, <laughs> did the milk meg for <laughs> eight years and then went, okay, I need to finish this nursing degree or I'm going to have to start all over again. Cause it was so long at that point to when yeah. I had started it. Um, so I finally went back and finished it, basically. So it's been a, a journey. <laughs> it's been a long, complicated journey. My um, goodness. But yeah, but I, I guess because I started with the volunteer breastfeeding stuff through La Leche League, I was always involved, um, but it was thanks to my mother pushing me. Yeah, You really should do this. You really should do this. So I'm glad she did. And was it through the breastfeeding stuff that you got more involved in the gentle parenting? Because you also talk a lot about that with families. Like you are a great advocate for not sleep training, for normal biological infant sleep, all that kind of stuff. And I really have to straight up just thank Lolly J. Lee for that because when I had him, and I was very young, you know, my husband and I were in uni, so I was... 22 when I, no, I was pregnant at 21. Um, so none of our friends were having babies. Like, you know, it, it, we had no idea what we were doing. We had no one to really look to either. Babies were not even on our minds. So I kind of, you know, when I had him, everything that I had read or heard, all the sort of Western ideas of not having them in your bed and, just like, but he wouldn't sleep. So it's not like I was pregnant going, I'm going to be an attachment parent and I'm going to have him in my bed. Like, no, it was because of him, you know, he, yeah. he wouldn't sleep. And I, I remember the moment where I looked at um, my husband and I said, I have to bring him into bed because he's not sleeping. And that was it. He popped in and never got out. So <laughs> I always say, my firstborn, oh, it's going to make me cry. <laughs> um, he taught me, he taught me how to um, mother. You know, it's, 
I don't think you're alone in that. I remember reading somewhere and it's one of those horrible situations where people are like, where did you read it? I'm like, I have no idea. In a book somewhere, sometime, and I can't even remember what religion it is. But that some belief held by someone somewhere in the world once said that, you know, we don't get the children we expect. We get the children we need to learn and grow as people. And I totally think that that is true when we're open to it. I don't think everyone is always open to that. And there's a lot of times that we try to put our kids, but they fight very hard to help us learn lessons about ourselves along the way. Yes. And I think I have reflected on this a lot, you know, and sort of gone, how was I so strong, I guess, to fight against the pressures because people are constantly fighting against the pressures of the sort of Western quote, modern ideas of what we should be doing as parents. Mm -hmm. And I remember my mother, because I was still in Australia when I had our first, she mailed me a magazine that was like a gentle parenting magazine. And I was like, oh, my God, there are people out there like me. Like, this was, I mean, this is, okay, I'm 40. So this was, like, pre-social media. If you can even yeah. imagine a time, there was actually a time where there was no social media. <laughs> and you read, you know, you read books and magazines. And yeah. I was just, I just went, oh, my gosh, I'm not the only one. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not the only one with my baby in, in my bed. And I think for me, um, I think for me, just knowing that actually there are other people out there like me really helped me feel confident. And then once I got involved in La Leche League, again, it was going, wow, actually, I'm not a total weirdo. There are, are other people <laughs> who mother like this. And when I started doing my breastfeeding stuff um, with the Milk Mag and I became a lactation consultant, I knew that's the only way that I could operate is to come from that place mm -hmm. because that is for me, I wanted that sort of support. And I know that there are other people out there who do as well. Not everyone's going to want to, and that's fine. And I'm not going to be helpful for them. But I think for the people who do want that breastfeeding help, from an attachment parenting place, which also happens to be really good for breast milk supply, <laughs> you know, feeding on demand, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and bed sharing and all of that just happens to be, you know, very conducive to breastfeeding. It all just sort of fits in together. Yeah. And I had a talk with Helen Ball about that. We have discussed that at length from her research perspective. So, well, then this kind of leads into the question, because I think you're right about the idea of having to go against the grain. It is so ingrained in our culture. And, you know, I, I've shared this before, and I'll share it again. It's really weird for me to sometimes think about that because I was very lucky to have my mom as my example of what I saw from this kind of perspective. But one of the things that there is a ton of social stigma about is breastfeeding older children. It's like, I mean, there's the whole morality of breastfeeding that if people listen to the interview with Cecilia Tamori will have heard, but there's already a stigma about all types of breastfeeding. But when you get to older children, it is 
intense and right it is so I mean before we get into these myths though but what are the kind of struggles that you have had families come to you about what are they facing when they're looking at breastfeeding an older child I think one of the biggest underlying issues with this is that people have no idea what breastfeeding a toddler or child even looks like. So they've never seen it. And because you never see it, when you do see it, you're like, oh, that's weird. That That's not right. So if you are the first family member to actually breastfeed beyond babyhood, everyone else kind of looks at you like, why are you doing that? Like, he's so old, you know, whereas you as the mother are looking at them going, you're so little, <laughs> you know, we see them in a very different light how everyone else sees them. And I, I've written about this before and I've spoken about this before the first time I saw someone breastfeeding a toddler and it was when I went to meet the La Leche League leader in my town. My mother said, let's go, let's go. You know, you have questions. So we just went and met up with her and her little baby, uh, not baby. He was probably 18 months at the time. We're talking to her. He hops up, pulls down her top, starts breastfeeding and then looking. <laughs> And I was like, you know, and I'm this 22 year old, like with my little tiny, you know, three month old. And I was like, wow. And I even remember like my mom, my mom breastfed me till I was two. Yeah. And my mom and I after going, I can't believe that kid just like a little, you know, animal on her boob, you know. And then of course I went on to breastfeed my three kids for like a hundred years. So <laughs> It's just funny though, you know, so I remember like, I know what that's like yeah. to not see it. And then you see it for the first time. And I think that's really one of the biggest underlying issues here, which is just a cultural thing. There are many countries around the world where it's not, you don't even talk about it because yeah. it's so common. So mm -hmm. it's not even a topic of discussion. Yeah, no, and that's true. I think a lot of people struggle with family criticisms of they don't need it anymore, they're so old, why don't you just give them a cup with cow's milk in it, um, they should be sleeping through the night. You know, there's lots of different criticisms, but if we could just remember, I guess, why that's happening, they're not coming from a, a bad place, they just don't understand. Yeah, it's so true, and that understanding is what's so important to facilitate and develop in our culture, I think, because, and I think you're right, it comes from seeing it. It's why, you know, we always say, I understand if people feel uncomfortable breastfeeding in public. I do. But I always, with my kids, did it as much as possible because just for the fact that it's like, if someone sees that and goes, oh, okay, that's good, then... There's just one level of like, oh, I remember when your kid starts doing it, it might be, oh, that lady at that coffee shop that one time, I don't know who she is, but I remember her kid grabbing down her shirt or climbing over her to whatever it was that happened in which it took place. And that's why I shared, you know, when I first started the Milk Meg, my youngest of three was 
um, I can't even remember how old, but like a baby, <laughs> four months old, I think. And um, I shared photos all the time on social media. And my um, first book that I wrote was a lot about him <laughs> just because I had taken a million pictures because we had, you know, the phones that could do that when I had yeah. it. <laughs> Of course, my middle boy is like, where are all the photos of me? <laughs> but I always would share photos of him because of that reason. You know, if you see it, it becomes normal. Yeah, it's so true. It is so true. Okay. I think we need to, in terms of normalizing and everything, are we ready to go into these myths? So I have 10 myths and i am calling them myths so right off the bat when you hear it you'll know clearly that they're not true but we're going to discuss why it's not just going to be a no this isn't true and i think what people need to know because there is like you said it's the stigma it's the lack of understanding it's not people coming from a horrible place but you know some of these things that i'm going to say come from doctors come from you know people that really don't have the knowledge of how breastfeeding works and those are the people that women go to or parents go yes. to with questions because <laughs> they're expecting okay this person is going to know what they're talking about and yeah. that is a big thing that happens too is people you know will say to me well this is what my doctor said but the reason that they're talking to me is because it doesn't feel right and if something doesn't feel right, it's really important to follow that and follow your instincts. I think it's fair. One of the things I always want families to do when they talk to their doctors is if you're getting breastfeeding advice from your doctor, you should ask what their training in breastfeeding is. Because and the evidence to support yeah. what they're saying. Exactly. Because I am telling you, this happens a lot in IVF breastfeeding stuff as well, which is a whole nother, you could do a podcast just on that. Yeah. Um, you know, of being told information, but then actually when you push back a little bit and you ask them for that evidence to back it up, there is none. So you can do it in a nice way, you know, of just saying, I'd really like to see, um, you know, the, the research or evidence to back up what you're saying, because I just don't really understand. It just doesn't feel right to me. And how they answer that question will let you know <laughs> something you should take on or not. Oh, yeah, because some of them will be very defensive immediately. And if they do get defensive, chances are there is nothing behind what you're being told. Absolutely. It is a culturally based, culturally influenced bit of advice, not research based. Yeah. Those are two very different things. All right. So let's start with the first one, which is one I get so infuriated about how much I hear. So you may have heard that there is no nutritional value to breast milk after some specified time. I have heard a year. I've heard two years. I've heard six months. I've heard nine months. I mean, just the, the actual time frame can vary. But the idea is that at some point, your boobs start popping out what? Like... Pez flavored water? Is that what's happening here? Which even if it was water would be beneficial, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> and just the fact that what you said 
just the fact that there's actually no agreed upon age of when it stops being beneficial in of itself should tell you that this is incorrect information. Yeah. <laughs> um, this is a very bizarre myth to me because the same people who say that will then say to you, and now you need to start giving your child cow's milk. Now, how is it that a milk for a cow, a calf, a growing calf, is beneficial throughout our lifetime, but our own milk, our own species-specific milk made specifically for our child has an expiration date. That makes no sense. And look, I'm not vegan. You know, I just had cream in my coffee this morning. So <laughs> I, I'm not, and that's a whole nother issue of cow's milk stuff. But just that fact in of itself, you know, shows you the, how it just makes no sense. Milk that we make is specific to our child. And we know there is research that shows how our milk actually changes to meet the needs of our child. That happens, that interaction between us and our child or both of our children, if we're tandem feeding, that happens the entire time we breastfeed for. It's not like we wake up one morning and because they turn some sort of magical age that that process stops happening. That's not how our bodies work. Your milk is continually changing to meet your child's needs. And that's just talking about the milk itself, not even talking about all of the other things that breastfeeding brings to the diet. And I will add to this that, you know, I know for a long time, there was the question about, you know, we've looked at the composition of milk in general up to a year. And this is, you know, we found X amount of various nutrients, everything. And they did finally do one to two year milk. We have, as far as I know, there hasn't been a follow up on beyond two year milk as to what kind of on average is in there. There is research happening in that area, but I haven't okay. actually seen anything out yet. Okay. And so I can confirm and Meg can confirm too, there is tons in the breast milk, at least from one to two, um, including, and perhaps most importantly, is an increase in immunoglobins or the parts of our body that are passing on that immune response from our bodies to our kids, which makes sense that it would increase in the second year because what are our children doing? Moving and exploring and getting into everything. And so actually what breast milk for an older child can provide is very important additional protection. And, you know, this can come from our experiences with disease, our vaccination. I spoke to Dr. Rebecca Powell about the COVID vaccination and everything and that protection being passed on to, you know, through breast milk. And, it, this is really important, I think, for parents to understand is that you are actually providing very specific things. And then, as Meg said, a very nuanced needs of your child. Yes. And those and it's not only it's actually many different aspects and nutrients within your milk, that concentration in it, it's more concentrated. So they are getting a decrease in volume, but the concentration of all that goodness is higher. 
So it's, it, it is pretty amazing what our bodies are actually capable of doing and how much it provides to our child. Um, and I think, I don't know about you, Tracy, but I know for myself, I didn't have my first and think, I'm going to breastfeed you, you know, for a couple of years. Like it just wasn't even in my mind. Um, but it just kind of happens, you know, and all you kind of have this idea, I'm going to breastfeed for this long. And then you get to that age and you go, mm, why would I stop though? Like it's still really working, you know, and there's so many wonderful things that it brings to your child. No matter the it, I will say I actually did start out thinking I'd be going for years. Um, but again, only because of the experience of my mom. I had witnessed an age difference of my siblings nursing well beyond infancy. I can say that much. And it's uh, so that was just in my head. That's how you did it was you kept going till your kids stopped themselves. And that was how it went. I should say, because I knew my mother always talked about how much she loved giving birth. She hated being pregnant, but she loved giving birth, loved breastfeeding. And she would talk about that a lot. And I knew that I was breastfed for two years. So having said that, I think I knew that I wasn't just going to breastfeed him for a month for sure, but I didn't have a specific like time frame of what I thought I was going to do. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot of people go, oh, I'll just feed, you know, for as long as I can. But um, they're so little still, you know, when they're two years old, when they're three years old, they are still little. And I just I, I, there's another element to this one I want to add, because it it made me think about um, Dr. Sharon Halcrow is the bioarchaeologist. And we talked about how, you know, from a nutritional perspective, fossils of, you know, babies from a very long time ago do provide a bit of input. And so we may be able to say that nutritionally, we stop seeing a strong effect in the bones and everything at around age three. So nursing, breastfeeding at that point, um, will not contribute nutritionally as much as it had before. But again, this goes to what you said, Meg, is that there are benefits outside of nutritional elements to breastfeeding. And it is not just, we may talk about the nutritional benefits a lot because that's what doctors often seem to focus on. But breastfeeding as a means of comfort and support and closeness and attachment are all equally valid benefits that can continue for ages. And I think it depends on how we are measuring benefits or measuring, you know, if we're looking at a fossil, that's one way that we're sort of measuring the nutritional impact of breastfeeding. There are many different ways that we can actually measure that. So with breastfeeding, it's really bizarre if you look at breastfeeding research, like there's certain breastfeeding areas that are, um, there's lots of research on, and then there's other areas where there's like none um, or it's very poorly designed, like sleep, for instance. <laughs> Which we will get to. Don't worry. But yeah, there's many, many different ways we can actually measure health and nutrition as well. And I would argue that there are lots of things that your child is getting, you know, gut health, um, whether they're breastfeeding at three months or five years old. 
And that's fair. That's true. Because the teeth, they're just looking at the nutritional composition of bone structure, everything that comes to it. And and to be fair, Dr. Halker was not saying that there was any problem. She's all for it. it was, she was actually countering the idea that all kids weaned at that point because they didn't. It was just that the fossil record of it, it's not contributing to the isotopes in the teeth anymore because from a other food perspective those are more dominant there's more of that in the diet which is reflected in the teeth but that you know for some reason people think it means oh they must have all stopped breastfeeding at that point and that was the counter was no that's not the case at all um it just reflects that switch to a predominantly solid food diet so when you're breastfeeding your four-year-old they're not breastfeeding 10 times a day. Um, you know, that's the other thing that people don't understand. Like, or, you know, you're saying to them, no, you have to wait. I'm not breastfeeding you right now. Like it's, it is, it is a relationship, you know, it's yeah. a lot of negotiating too. And a lot of boundaries that you put up, you know, saying, actually, I'm not breastfeeding you right now. Sorry. That actually just brings me to the next one, though. So hold that thought right there, because the next one I hear all the time is that if you nurse on demand, especially with kids, you know, over a year, we'll get to. So we're not talking about four. We're talking about over a year. You will lead your children to become entitled brats. This is always a really another sort of interesting one to me. And maybe it's because of my like psych background and child development of just knowing we know that independence is fostered through those secure attachments that are made when they are little. And what is more of a secure attachment than breastfeeding? I'm not saying you can't have a secure attachment if you're not breastfeeding. Yes, of course you can. But that underlying, um, Thing of forming those secure attachments, that is what leads to confident, independent humans. So this whole idea that you're spoiling them or they're going to be dependent on you forever, you know, the whole joke of, you know, he's still going to be breastfeeding when you send him off to college and all those things that everyone loves to say. Um, the reality is, no, they're not going to still be breastfeeding when you send them off to college. That is not going to happen. And it is something that actually works in the opposite way, um, which again is that cultural influence um, and that misunderstanding of what those secure attachments actually leads to with child development. And so you actually addressed myth number eight, which is that nursing a toddler or older child inhibits their independence because some of them are related. And I want to address a little bit of the entitled brat is that I know it, it links to this idea that if our children get to dictate something when I nurse, they're going to think they get to dictate everything else in their lives and hence the entitled sense that I get what I want when I want it. And I think that really belies the understanding of what breastfeeding offers, is that we're not talking about getting a toy. We're not talking about having a, you know, a milkshake. Um, if our child is hungry, 
chances are most of us feed them. They may want a lollipop or whatever. That we don't have to, you know, that's the boundary that we're like, nah, actually, that's not so good right now. But hopefully we feed them. If our children are really hungry, hopefully we feed them. I'm just going to say, I feel like that is part of, that's not attachment parenting. That's not gentle parenting. Hopefully that's parenting. (laughs) Exactly. So this, and similarly, when our children are upset or hurt, it, hopefully we comfort them. Hopefully we provide support for them. Exactly. And that's the wider area or topic of this, which is, I guess, that we are mothering through breastfeeding, um, parenting through breastfeeding. That is another concept that I think a lot of people, because most people don't breastfeed beyond babyhood um, in Australia, where I live now, in America, where I'm from, you're in Canada, right? Yeah. Um, it's actually statistically speaking, the minority is doing that. So, um, now that's my train of thought. What was I saying? Um, so with this whole idea, I guess of, you know, it's for hunger and that's it. Um, I remember many times my child having a full blown temper tantrum and what was the thing that calmed them down? It was breastfeeding. So, there's lots of different reasons why they will want to breastfeed or need to breastfeed. And there is not one reason that's important than another. It meets almost every need that they will have. Um, If they're bored, if they're tired, if they're um, in pain, you know, they're thirsty, anything. And And every time I see a little Joey, um, kangaroo. And it's at that age where it jumps in the pouch and obviously would be breastfeeding because the nipples in there, which I wish, why did that not happen to us? In the <laughs> I don't know. Um, they jump in, have a little breastfeed, pop out, jump around, jump around. Oh, they get scared, jump back in the pouch, have a little breastfeed, poke their head out, look around. I mean, that is what human toddlers do. Yes. You just don't have a pouch. Yes, exactly. We should. This is our new evolutionary, like, future directions. Yes, we have to buy our pouch. We don't automatically have one. Exactly. And so this is, yeah. So I think the idea of this intelligence, and the other thing to that is, even from a nutritional perspective, breastfeeding is not a milkshake. Breastfeeding is not a candy bar. I have heard all of those, you know, in an attempt to link it to entitledness or something. It is not the same. Breastfeeding is actually one of the most nutritionally complete foods you could offer your child. So if in a moment you would be ready to give your kid an apple, a carrot, an egg, whatever else, broccoli, there should be no questions as to whether or not they are ready to have breast milk at that time too. However, I will say that my youngest has always said that my my milk tasted like chocolate ice cream. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so it may taste really, but even better. It tastes great, but has a different nutritional profile. We need to make more foods like that too. That is apparently where we need to be going from. So 
Okay, so we have, we know that there is no expiration date on the value of breastfeeding. We know that it does not lead to, especially nursing on demand when our children request it, does not lead to entitlement. Um, You may set boundaries. I think just to add to that, what you said is there are going to be times when your kids get older and you don't nurse on demand. You can nurse on demand 80% of the time, but there are going to be periods where you're like, you know what, I need a break and or actually I'm about to run out or whatever is going to happen. And then you offer alternatives. And that is absolutely 100% okay. And also nursing does not inhibit independence. In fact, it facilitates independence in many ways. So this is, and there was research too on that independence note linking uh, particularly breastfeeding on demand to a rather difficult construct because there's a lot of debate around it. So I I hesitate to, to talk about it, but our delay of gratification which is thought to be very important for our well-being. However, it's very much linked to SES and other elements like that. But amongst, you know, a higher SES group, nursing on demand and the longer term nursing on demand led to greater delay of gratification than the opposite. So this kind of speaks to that independence and entitlement for whatever reason. It was linked to our ability to wait for other things even longer. So... There is some regulation happening through that process. Well, and I think, I think again, it does too come down to that um, where people have this idea that, you know, talking about delayed gratification or, you know, that, that if we're breastfeeding them and, and we are just sort of, yep, okay, you can breastfeed right now, um, that that happens 24 mm-hmm. seven. But actually, I don't know anyone who, of the time breastfed on demand for four years straight. It's, it's just not because life happens, you know, other things. Um, And even if we wanted to do that, it's usually not possible, whether we have other children or other things going on or our, you know, life, life happens. And it is that natural progression of what happens with breastfeeding because it is a relationship. It is not just your child you are a part of that relationship too. Your child may not realize that, but you well, are. This is they, true. This is yeah, true. They, but they're, or, or they don't care. Yeah, that's very true. All right. So now we're getting to that quick thing we talked about, which is that um, specific to night weaning, especially um, with older kids, if you don't night wean, your child will never sleep or sleep through the night. I can't tell you how many times because of my work with sleep, I have so many families that truly believe that if they do not night wane, that somehow these children will never sleep. And I I want to, I get so angry at wherever this is coming from because it simply isn't true. So I'll let you go and I'll add in anything that needs to go there. Another thing that sort of aligns with that that I hear all the time is that if you don't do it by a certain age, it's not going to happen. So like you have this window of, you know, if they're not sleeping through by, or you know, whatever magical number they come up with, that it's going to be impossible to get them out of your bed, impossible to get them to sleep through the night. Um, it's never going to happen. Whereas I actually try to shift their thinking a bit of going, you know, if you wait till they're a bit 
older, um, it actually is much, much easier because they're like an actual little person then that you can talk to and communicate with and negotiate with. Um, and sleeping through the night um, isn't a thing that really anyone does. You know, even as adults, we get up, we pee, we get a drink of water, we roll over, um, we cuddle our partner, we pull our blanket up, you know, that happens. We go through those, the different cycles in our sleep. We're just old enough that we know sort of how to put ourselves back to sleep. It's like, it's a developmental milestone that your child is going to reach no matter whether or not you're breastfeeding or bed sharing or co-sleeping, they will sleep. Um, the thing is, there's no question that, yeah, if you're bed sharing and you're breastfeeding, they're going to keep doing that for probably a long time unless you try to stop it. But that is the biological norm. That is what human breastfeeding children do. They wake to breastfeed to go back to sleep. And it's a continual cycle that happens. Um, sometimes there's unicorn babies and they start sleeping through on their own, even though they're breastfed on demand 24 seven in bed share. In my experience over the years, because let me tell you, there is basically no research on this truly of looking at just bed sharing, breastfeeding on demand families and what sort of sleep is like for them. Um, but in my experiences, this is something that does go on for quite a while, for months or years. And if you do not actively night wean your child, it's really rare for me to hear from someone. And even over like the past almost 10 years of me doing the Milk Meg, um, I can only remember one person who didn't night wean and was, you know, their child just continued to breastfeed overnight. I think he was three and a half. Um, but most people, actually their child stopped breastfeeding well before that point on their own overnight. So without doing anything. So there is no question that they will start sleeping through. Again, it comes down to as well, if you're feeling as though you want to put up boundaries for yourself because you're tired. Yeah. Um, but if you don't put up any boundaries, just like with breastfeeding in general, they're going to wean. <laughs> it's going to happen and they are going to sleep. We'll get to that one next then, because that is one of them, too, is this somehow mythical idea that if you don't wean, they'll never wean. But just to add to the sleep one, too, again, there isn't good research on this. It is really appalling how frustrating it is. Where a lot of people get some of this is that, yes, a lot of studies that look at night wakings, one of the predictors of night wakings regularly is breastfeeding. It shows up regularly. However, what's really also important is that it's actually not a predictor of our children's waking per like relative to other kids. It's their signaling to us 
because they're breastfeeding, we become aware of it. But their sleep is actually no different than children who are not breastfeeding. So one of my favorite studies was Helen Ball and her colleagues, where they showed using, you know, actigraphy versus parent diaries of sleep, that although all parents actually underestimate the number of wakings their kids have, because even our kids that we swear, you know, wake a million times, wake a million plus five, that there is a difference based on how we feed our children, that um, parents who bottle feed or use formula predominantly are actually less aware of the wakings even more. So the discrepancy between what their babies are doing and what they're experiencing is actually much greater than for a breastfeeding dyad because there is just that awareness of, I mean, it's it hard. involves our body. Exactly. And so it's there. And I will say just a, a final note on that, that when people decide to night wean, there is no guarantee your child is going to sleep better. Absolutely. And- this is so important to know. I know people say, oh, you just need to night wean and then they'll sleep through the night. Um, no. That maybe that changes. I've met some families where that has changed things. I've met an equal number, if not more, where that has not changed things, that they have tried it and then come back going, oh, my God, now my kid's awake and I can't get them back to sleep. And I think the other thing with that, too, though, that I always tell families is that your child will likely start going much longer between wake ups and you will be able to resettle them you know, without breastfeeding back to sleep. However, they need to be with you still. If you're trying to night wean and get them in their own room, good luck with that. (laughs) (laughs) All the prayers to you because um, that is very unlikely to work (laughs) successfully. Um, You know, they still need you there even though they're not breastfeeding. So I'll always suggest to people, if you do want to night wean, don't change your sleeping environment yet. Or if they are sort of in their own room and you've been going back and forth, you know, to feed them, bring them into your room. Doesn't have to be your bed necessarily, but just have them there. That proximity is so important. So Going on to the similar, that if you don't wean your child, they'll never wean, seems to be another. And this one, again, I will just say mind boggles me because I've heard it. And again, it's that concept. Do you see people out there that are 20 years old breastfeeding still? And like, where do we get this idea? Like, bah! (laughs) We're just so, as a culture, generally speaking, obsessed with independence even when they're babies. <laughs> um, and this idea that they shouldn't be, quote, attached to us in that, you know, there's something wrong with that and it's going to be like that forever because you're not dealing with that sort of thing. Um, for a child to actually truly sort of wean on their own really doesn't happen before the age of two. Um, that's what sort of research research tells us. And please correct me if I'm wrong on that, Tracy. 
Well, there's just so little research, it's hard to tell. But yes, so from what we can tell, you know, most cultures where there's no pressure to wean, it would be incredibly rare to see it prior to two and more even more like three and up is what I've seen as a probably even a more standard idea. So that in of itself just kind of shows you actually the natural progression of what a child would be doing. And we're talking about years here, not months. Mm-hmm. So when a child's still breastfeeding at 12 months old, I mean, that's like nothing, you know, <laughs> but when you look at sort of what they would be doing, if you were just didn't have all these, you know, pressures of culture and having to go back to work and pumping and all those fun things. Um, and we know that, Really, again, there's not a lot of research, but um, if you look at, you know, looking at other primates, that's usually the one that we sort of fall to when we're talking about um, when humans would wean is, you know, anywhere um, from like two and a half up to six or seven years old, depending on what you're eating. Um, But because of how we live too, it's much less likely to happen that long because we're doing a million things and they go to school. Or even if we're homeschooling, we're running around doing a million things, doing homeschooling stuff. So I think we, we have much, the way we live now is not really conducive to the natural term of breastfeeding. I would agree. But that said, just to reiterate, there is a natural term. They do wean. There is. <laughs> and just to go, you know, when people think about it with the natural term being whatever it is, a very delayed period, I always like to remind people, we call the first set of teeth, they used to be called milk teeth. Yes. And they were milk teeth because they were the teeth there while we're breastfeeding, all that kind of stuff. And then when they come out is when we're moving on to our more adult teeth. And when do kids start losing their teeth? Usually around five or six. Yeah. That is kind of one of those markers that goes along. Just again, lactose intolerance is another kind of marker because breast milk is filled with lactose. And lactose intolerance is actually a very normal human historical biological norm for people to be lactose. And when does it develop? It develops around eight or nine. So the idea is you had to have been off breast milk for the body to stop producing the enzyme that digests lactose because it's not in a lot of other foods. And then that is why we do not see lactose intolerance earlier. You may have been told your baby's lactose intolerant, but that is very, very rare. And that's a whole other topic to get into is misinformation on breastfeeding on that. But versus cow's protein allergy. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is a different thing. So, all right. So here's one that comes actually as we talk about medical professionals and drives me nuts is that, and it, it's almost implicit for older kids because of, well, the nature of it is that nursing causes cavities. And I say older because obviously kids have to have the teeth and most of our teeth aren't coming in till we're one, two years of age. You may have a couple little baby teeth early. Some kids get them earlier, but um Typically, we're seeing the greater effect on teeth starting at about a year. And I have so many families, and I myself was told, not by my dentist, but by another one, that breastfeeding was highly problematic for teeth. 
thankfully in this area, we do have research to counteract that. <laughs> there is a lot of research that actually shows the protective factors in our breast milk against cavities and how really the things that affect that are genetics, diet, and whether or not you are properly caring for your teeth, as in brushing your teeth and going to the dentist. So um, the confusion around this, I think, really comes from bottle feeding overnight. Because when a baby feeds with a bottle, it does pool in their mouth. And whether it's breast milk or formula or whatever, um, that's problematic if you have anything just sitting in your mouth like that. That is not how breastfeeding works. The nipple, if you know, for those of you who breastfeed and you see your nipple after baby comes off, it's about a foot long, your nipple is going way towards the back of your baby's palate and it's not pooling and sitting there in your baby's mouth. So that's another thing too that um, the sort of, you know, bottle rot issue um, Yes, you absolutely should not be putting your child to bed um, with a bottle that they just can have. Yeah. Not good for the teeth, um, regardless of what's in that bottle. But breastfeeding is a different mechanism of how it goes in. And there absolutely is research that shows how it is breast milk is not the or breastfeeding overnight is not what causes cavities. And to add to that, there's a ton of research that breast milk is protective against cavities. Yes, absolutely. So it is not just not detrimental, it is actually beneficial. There are factors, yeah. Exactly. And one of the biggest problems does come, as Meg said, there's the genetics, which is a huge one. There's the development of the teeth in utero is another issue that can come up depending on how your pregnancy went and people antibiotics. Exactly. All this stuff. As the teeth are developing in utero, if certain stressors happen during pregnancy, like illness or whatnot, and there wasn't enough nutrients going in, those baby teeth may be compromised, may not be strong enough. That can happen. Um, and then, of course, not brushing off sugars. That's if you have a lot of sugar, that's going to be an issue as well. So that one, yeah, is there. So, okay, we've gone through all this. I would like to talk about one that I think is, well, these two kind of go together, is that a child who breastfeeds beyond infancy will become upset or angry as, as they get older upon knowing that they breastfed for that long. You know, I'm really glad you are asking this question because I have thought about this a bit. And I do remember growing up, because my wonderful mother did talk about breastfeeding so much, my sister and I, because I was breastfed for two years. My sister was about 18 months. Um, and I didn't know anyone else who had been breastfed for that long. Now, mind you, it's not like we were chatting about this in high school. So I'm, I'm sure that there were other people. However, it just wasn't a topic of, you know, discussion. And I do remember thinking, oh, that is, you know, 
a long time that I was breastfed for. Like, you know, cause I never knew anyone else. I never saw anyone breastfeeding and feeding a toddler, you know, going back to that issue of not seeing it. However, I am now eternally grateful <laughs> to my mother for having breastfed me for that long. And I feel so lucky. And I am continually telling my boys, you know, and uh, about how they breastfed for so long and look at how healthy you are and, you know, being positive about it. Um, they're sick of the topic of breastfeeding. <laughs> Almost 18 year old, I'll tell you that. Um, but I think as you get older, you can really appreciate the importance um, of having been able to breastfeed for that long. And I feel so incredibly lucky myself as well, just because this was at a time where, you know, my mom, she knew no one who was breastfeeding at all. Um, when she was breastfeeding me, it's like a small, it's a miracle that she breastfed me for two years. Um, at the time, you know, I was born in 1980. Um, so that I, I feel lucky now, but I know for my youngest, cause I took, cause he was almost five when he weaned and he remembers breastfeeding and Anything that my kids have ever said about breastfeeding has always been positive, you know, like about their own experience. Um, however, they know what I do for work as well. So <laughs> it's always hard. I know because my daughter was the conversation. Right. Exactly. Yeah. My daughter was six or seven um, when she weaned. I don't know because I was I had my son tandem feeding. So it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, wait, you you haven't had. Wait, what? And she's like, oh, yeah, I'm done with that. She was just like, yeah, I'm done. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. And uh, but again, she goes back with like fond memories of it, loves seeing. But again, she knows what I do. And so there's I'm sure it's kind of intertwined into all of it that goes. But I think even if I didn't do this, I think the way it's presented to kids, the more normative it is, the more it's just that's what you do. It's not. You know, this isn't something like, I think so much of this stems from our idea that a lot of what our kids do when they're young, we talk about, ooh, we're going to share pictures at their wedding to embarrass them, to do X, Y, Z. Like we have this weird cultural obsession with making our children feel embarrassment or shame. And I, I don't get it. I don't get it at all. But it is there. And so breastfeeding seems to be one other thing like, ooh, we could show a picture of you on the boob at five. And isn't that going to be horrific? And yet that's not the experience so many kids have. And I also think, you know, in this regard, the idea that it would somehow be bad is I know there's a cultural element in our culture. We don't do this. So therefore, they'll be abnormal or different. Well, so many kids are different about so many different things that I don't see how we, you know, it's again that drive to conform. But if you look at other cultures where it is the norm, these children seem to grow up just fine. They seem to have no issues with the fact that they may have breastfed till four, five, three, six. I, I don't care. I mean, it's they're doing just dandy. And I think we have to look to that to say there's nothing inherent in feeling 
awkward, weird, shame, et cetera, about it later on. We are saying as they grow up, isn't that, you know, aren't you so lucky that you were breastfed for five years? You know, isn't that so great? Um, you know, and talking about it in a positive way, just like, you know, our mothers talking to us about it in a positive way, yeah. um, that really impacts how you feel about it, just like with yeah. anything else. Um, yeah. And if we are talking about it in a positive way, that leaves an impact on them too. You know, it, it's, it's yeah. how we talk about it. Exactly. And that is, I mean, I don't remember being breastfed, but I weaned my mom says around three. And it was the same for my brother and sister. The same kind of self-weaned all around three. And, but I, I saw them. And so the discussion of it was always positive. When I saw them, she would point out I'd done that. It, you know what I mean? It was just such a normal thing. And that's the thing. I, even though I was young, um, I knew I was going to breastfeed. It, it wasn't even like, oh, am I going to do it? Like, no, like it, 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 it wasn't even like a conscious thought process. Mm -hmm. Like I just knew that that was going to happen. And it's because of my mother <laughs> always yeah. talking about it. It just, that's what I was going to do. Yeah, exactly. That was the same here. It was completely, and that's why I say it was funny because I was one of the only people I knew that, you know, everyone had their timeline on it. And I was like, oh, no, I don't know. I'm just going to go till they don't go anymore. And the looks you got when you say that, you're like, what are you crazy? You're like, no, that's just kind of what I'm used to. So there we go. All right. I have one more myth I want to get to here. And I know we're, we're getting on time here because we could talk forever. And I love talking to you. But I really want to get to this one because this is, I think, goes to that shame piece that you said that families hear all this stuff about parents. And I've heard this so much is that a mother who nurses an older child is only doing it for her. Yeah, this is something that I hear all the time, too, which, first of all, yeah, we do get benefits from breastfeeding. Um, I'm just going to say it straight up. Yeah, sometimes yeah. it is for us. If it stops my kid's temper tantrum, I'm doing it. Just like, you know, just like if you would be um, cuddling your child, you know, to get them through something, it's a form of a cuddle you know, you're comforting your child. So um, I think, yes, of course, there are aspects of it that um, we do benefit from as a mother uh, with many different aspects of parenting. And I don't really get this criticism. <laughs> I, I actually don't really understand because it applies to many different parts of parenting. I remember my mother growing up, she would always say, your early bedtime is not for you. It's for me. And I never really got that <laughs> until I became a parent myself. And I went, oh, yes. And now I say that to my children <laughs> at eight o'clock or seven thirty because I need a break. Yeah, it's for me, not for you. Um, so, yeah, there are things with parenting that we do for us. Um, and breastfeeding is a relationship and it is about our child and it is about us and it is about mothering or parenting through breastfeeding. That is a part of it. And I'm not going to be um, like hiding that aspect of it. I don't understand why it's actually looked at as a bad thing. 
it's true. It is such a weird phenomenon because I think it's the idea that you're only doing it, that somehow there isn't a benefit to your child. So clearly it has to be like you hear, you know, oh, you're just meeting emotional needs for you. And it's, um, you know, I one of the things I also want to talk about, so I'll very quickly bring it up, too, was because no one sees nursing a toddler or an older child, they often sometimes have this idea it's going to look the same as nursing this little baby that snuggles in and goes. Exactly. And that's why I mentioned too the whole thing about like, you know, when my child breasts or, you know, weaned finally when he was about five, just, just like with your child, you, you go, oh, actually, that's right. You haven't breastfed in like five days. And, you know, like you keep thinking, oh, they haven't breastfed for a week and they're done. And then they breastfeed again for a couple minutes. And you're like, oh, I guess we're not done. <laughs> it's, it's very different. And that's the problem is they actually don't understand what it looks like. And, and they don't see the benefits that it provides throughout those years and how important it is to that child that breastfeeding is like the most special thing to them over anything else. I'm going to add to that, though. They also don't see the acrobatics that happen. And they, sorry, because, no, I want to go there because when people say it's only for you, the twiddling and the biting and the everything, because I always think when someone says, oh, you're just doing it for you. I'm like, I've got a child upside down hanging off a boob that's hanging out. And I'm, you know, she's got one hand on the other boob. Really, this one's for me, is it? That's like, or only for me. It's because... Because it looks so challenging at times. We, it is, no exactly. No one loves breastfeeding 24-7 the whole time they're doing it. Yeah. There are many times where we just want to tear our hair out. I mean, that's... Mm-hmm. So absolutely, it is not all fun and games. <laughs> exactly. And the idea that somehow we're only doing it for us. And also, I think that also speaks to something of that, especially with an older child... If your child hated breastfeeding, I can't even fathom what you would have to do to force them to breastfeed. Like, I can't fathom what that looks like. That's true, because it, it's not possible. Even even as a little tiny baby, if they don't want to breastfeed, they are not going to breastfeed. Try doing that with a four-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> like that's just... That's not going to happen. You can't even get them to get their shoes on, um, much less hop on the boob. And with the teeth they have at that point, I wouldn't even want to risk like trying to force someone with a full jaw strength and everything because it may be the last you see of that boob that it went the way. So it's not possible. Yeah. So no, no mother, if you tell anyone or hear that someone must be nursing just for them, um, it is perfectly valid to just tell the person to F off. Um, But also understand that it's also okay I think because this is the other part is that I think where people get concerned when they hear that is that as you said there are parts they enjoy there are parts that are good and so you start to question oh god am I doing it for me because I love the cuddles I love this you are allowed to have benefits you are allowed to enjoy something alongside your child enjoying it. Um, I mean, and even just the health benefits of, you know, the effects for moms. The longer you breastfeed, the greater the protection against a variety of cancers and all sorts of stuff. So this is like, and it's not a guaranteed protection. It's not, this is all odds, ratios and everything. But 
there you get to derive some benefits here of that and that is and it's okay to enjoy it it's okay to hate it at times it's okay to feel like my god this is the worst thing ever when your kids getting their two year molars and hasn't been off the boob all night because they can't sleep from it um We've all stuck our head in the pillow and screamed every profanity known to mankind, uh, humankind, pardon me. It's a roller coaster. It is. It really is a roller coaster. And so it's it's okay to feel all of it. And at no point are you doing it just for you because that's pretty much physically impossible. It absolutely is impossible. Yep. Yeah. There's no but way. Can force yes. child to feed. It is not whether they are two minutes old or two years old. They don't want to do it. They are not doing it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yes, exactly. It is crazy. So yes, yeah. so oh. Thank you, Meg. This is so wonderful. And it's so good to have someone who has worked with families and knows what they need to hear and know just all the knowledge you have from, I mean, your degrees, your practice, and just your experiences over so long with this. So regardless of any study that you've done or research you've done, you learn the most from the people that you work with. Research helps to support what we know, you know, instinctually. Um, But that nitty gritty stuff of, you know, the, the, bulk of what I have learned over the years has been through the families that I've worked with. Um, and it always, I, I just love to talk to those families who are following their instincts and are confident to sort of shut out all of that extra noise because it can be really hard. You know, by the time we get to your second, third, you're like, whatever, you can say anything to me. It doesn't matter. But that first yeah. baby in particular it's a process for a lot of us to work through, to get to the point where we're like, actually, you know what? I am going to keep feeding my child. And even if you don't like it, I feel good about it because I know it's working for us. And it takes a bit of time, but once you get there and the science and the research helps, you know, for you to be able to make that stance, and just following your own instincts and following your child. I mean, I love the science. The geek in me loves it just to read and say, like, breast milk science is amazing. But at the end of the day, I think the only real benefit to that science is in attempting to change our messed up culture. Because if you can present your doctor with no actually look, we know that there's a benefit to breast milk beyond one year, nine months, whatever the heck it is. Or actually, no, um, nursing does not cause cavities. Or no, I'm not doing it for me. All that stuff, I think it helps empower us to stand up to those that would make us feel bad. But at the end of the day, it doesn't change the reality that... It is totally normal to feed a mammal baby for a primate mammal baby for an incredibly long time. Our human babies go through the longest stage of infancy compared to any other mammal mm-hmm. on the planet. Our, our, they don't even walk until they're around a year old. I mean, like they're not even mobile, really until they're running around. And 
that takes a very long time to even get to that point. They need us mm-hmm. for many years in close proximity. Yeah, exactly. It's they are and, and unlike some other mammals, they don't go from infancy to being a juvenile. Um, or adolescent towards sexual maturity very early. They have this weird childhood that, you know, not even all primates have, right? We go through a really, really long period with our kids. And there's layers of independence that build, but they're all built on the foundation of that responsiveness. And for many of us who choose to breastfeed and want to, that is a part of that responsiveness. Absolutely. And just, you know, I do tell people to think of yourself a bit more like a marsupial rather than just straight up human mammal. Um, Because and think of that little Joey jumping in and out of its mom's pouch, because that is what they do. Yes. (laughs) Um, It's just for a very long time. Yeah, exactly. And meeting their needs and responding to them is creating that safety for them so that they can go on to be independent little beings. But it doesn't happen overnight. Yeah, no, it doesn't. Oh, my goodness, Meg, thank you so, so much for going through this. And so... So happy to be here. Of course, I could go on talking about this for about the next six hours, so... I know, exactly. We both could. It's everything, but I'm... You know, we've got to get on with our lives. Um, But speaking of which, so you finished your nursing degree. Yes. And what are you doing with that? Is that being worked into the milk, Meg? Is there? No. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Look, I can't ever see myself fully stepping away from the milk, Meg. I just, I can't. It's my passion. It's, I love it. Um. But I do really like mental health nursing as well. So um, best case scenario, I would be even doing like postpartum, you know, mental health nursing um, or just straight up mental health nursing and still doing some of the milk make as well. I think that's where I'm at at the moment, but we'll just have to see what happens going on oh there's such a need for postpartum mental health i mean that is an area that sadly is so underfunded underlooked so it would be you would be a brilliant asset there as long as you don't leave the milk meg too far behind i Um, I can't see myself leaving the milk yeah, no, you can't. And so with that, I also saw very quickly that you are updating your book. I am. Yeah, so. Um, you know, doing, writing a book is like birthing a baby. <laughs> and it's a process. So I'm sort of, um, I've had someone draw actually the the woman um who drew my illustrations and all tied up just so that it kind of matches my second edition of Boobin All Day, Boobin All Night. Um she's redrawn all of um mm-hmm. most of my photos and put we're gonna put I'm I'm doing some new little comics and trying to update the research and some new chapters. So I think I'm getting there that it's almost ready to be kind of put together. But yes, it's a process. So hopefully by the end of the year. For sure. 
Yes. For sure. But like, all right. Okay. Well, that's good. And I mean, not that you've had any time for anything else other than that, but is there anything else you're working on right now? Um, right now, since I just finished my nursing, literally like two weeks ago was my internship (laughs) finishing. I'm sort of in decompression mode right now. Um, and just really working on my, my second edition at the moment, trying to get that done. Perfect. Well, I look forward to it. If you need to find Meg, all of the contact info for her, the sites, the social media, everything will be in the show notes. And you should absolutely be following her because there is so much incredible advice coming out. The book, obviously, um, Boobin All Day and Boobin All Night. This will be the second edition coming out sometime this year. Um, And All Tied Up is available still. And she's just an all-around amazing person that you need to be following as well. So... Please check everything out. That's it for this week. I hope that if you are nursing an older child, you feel more confident in that. And if you aren't there, just maybe you'll start to consider if it works for you and your family. Please join me next week as I delve into the concept of the Evolve Nest with Dr. Darsha Narvez. If you don't know about the Evolve Nest, it's centered on finding the shared features of our small band hunter-gatherer ancestors and understanding how these features help us thrive. If you, like me, regularly ask what's wrong with our society, this may provide an answer. In the meantime, stay safe and happy parenting.